I'm Carl McCollman. I am Kevin Johnson. I'm Cassidy Hall, and we are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by listeners like you. Please visit www.patreon.com slash encountering silence. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be a part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Today, we're lucky enough to have director Patrick Shin join us for our first interview. And he is the award-winning director of the films Flight from Death. He also did The Philosopher Kings and La Source. And of course, his most recent, which we've mentioned in this podcast numerous times, is In Pursuit of Silence. Patrick's also a husband, a father, and a very, very good friend of mine. And we are thrilled to have him with us today. Patrick, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's, uh, it's an honor to be participating in this podcast. So one of the first things we'd love to dive into is, of course, the burning question in everyone is, uh, tell us a little bit about the origin story of um, In Pursuit of Silence and how you came across the idea, and of course, then how it's influenced your life now at this point that it's released. So yeah, I, I, when I think about the origins of In Pursuit of Silence, it always leads me to, th- to think about the, the, re- the reactions that I had to a movie that I saw back in 2006 called Integrate Silence, mm. which is this beautiful, you know, this meditative uh, film about um, monastic life in the French Alps. But, but long before that, I remember having these kind of same similar existential kind of curiosities and yearnings even as a teenager and I remember going to a lot of Native American powwows and reading up a lot on Native American spirituality. And, and um, I always had these sort of really kind of deep curiosities about kind of who I, uh, who, who I was and, and how I belonged in the world and where I belonged in the world. And so when I saw Integrate Silence, I think it was, it was in a way like these kind of two puzzle pieces coming together. And that was when I began thinking about silence in a, in a, and I think this more profound kind of ma- manner it became something much more to me than this idea of this acoustic property. It had these kind of existential metaphysical kind of elements to it and I just couldn't get enough of it. That, that sparked this whole multi-year journey of delving into the subject even further and you know, a few years later, I discovered the work of John Cage and the writings of John Cage and the work of this f- amazing avant-garde filmmaker by the name of Nathaniel Dorsky that uh, really informed the process and how to relate to In Pursuit of Silence. And so that's, I think, kind of basically where it began, and it kind of evolved from there. And Patrick, weren't you in like a rock band at some point in your life, too? I mean, how, you know, at that at that time in your life, did you have any encounters with silence that you would say, or maybe it's just even, you know, as they say, the pauses between the notes, right? I mean, was it, was something speaking to you even then? Yeah, that's interesting you bringing that up. I think so. I don't think about it too often, but I mean, obviously in, in, uh, throughout the making of In Pursuit of Silence, I, it got me wondering about my relationship with silence. And I, I wondered whether or not 
my curiosities about silence were maybe just a response, maybe to the loud kind of childhood that I, that I had growing up around music. You know, thinking back, I, it's funny, I was always, you know, we played in this crazy metal band, you know, we, we, we our influences were like Megadeth and Metallica, and it was, you know, it was, it was on the heavier side of the metal, yes. the metal genre, you know, and uh, uh, I would, I would always be the guy going home with my guitar and playing jazz music and stuff mm. and listening to to the wave which was like this local new age <laughs> radio station and so i don't know maybe it was a response to all the noise um or maybe it was always there maybe this curiosity about about the pauses in between or quieter side of 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 living was always there in me i don't know and with your previous work that we mentioned earlier flight from death the source and the philosopher kings uh, do you see anything woven in your past work that ultimately led to this, you know, decision to make the film in Pursuit of Silence? Hmm. Yeah, I certainly there has been this kind of existential curiosity with all of my films, I think. Um, the first film, Flight from Death, as you mentioned, probably being the most glaring example of that. So I had read a book called Denial of Death, written by Ernest Becker, which was a, a book that won the Pulitzer in 1974, which inspired that film. And I think ultimately what uh, fascinated me most about that subject was the idea of nothingness and how humanity has dealt with this, this, this possibility of nothingness at the end of our lives and, and how we kind of comprehend that, how we respond to it. Mm how we um, combat the idea that there's this possibility that our lives here are, um, is, uh, is, is temporary and, and possibly insignificant in, in, in the great scheme of things. So yeah, that was, um, I think, my, my first foray, foray into silence, I guess you could say, in this idea of nothingness. And I think silence represents that in, for, for a lot of people. A lot of us, when we step into silence, at least initially, find our sort of narratives, our identity, in a way, stripped away, right? And, and it's a lot like a little death of, of sorts. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying to be confronted with, with that possibility that all of, this, all of this sort of narrative building that we do throughout our lives, throughout our day, is meaningless. Patrick. Yes. Are you, are you familiar with the book The Grace in Dying by Kathleen Singh, S-I-N-G-H? No. Yeah, you may want to put it on your on your list. It's it's a transpersonal book about death and dying. I read it when my daughter was in hospice. Mm. And just listening to you just now, I, I, I just wanna wanna invite you to reflect on this and really to push on this a little bit more that there is a fundamental relationship between silence and death. And that contemplation, the act of intentional silence, whether you're talking about a formal practice like meditation or even what I would call natural contemplation, like, like being silent in the woods. But contemplation is not only a way of befriending silence, but also the best thing we can do to prepare for death. Mm. And that's the kind of thing that she explores in that book. So that's amazing. Just Great. excuse me for jumping in, but uh, I think that's something that might be fun for you to explore. Yeah, no, thanks. I'm fascinated. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, I want to offer something here too, is because exactly what Carl is saying. I mean, there's like about I don't know how many books we could list here that actually line up here with silence and death 
And, um, you know, th this idea, it, the interesting thing here for us is like, so for instance, we talk about silence heroes and stuff, and that'll be one of the episodes coming. Uh, Maggie Ross and other people have pointed out that what we identify, as you said, Patrick, we kind of identify with the ego and our ideas and who we are. And when you enter death, you strip away your identities, like you said. And so mm. that really does feel like a death. And so what contemplation really offers to us is it puts the question, are you your identities or are you something else? And this kind of dying and resurrecting this kind of thing in, a, in Christian language or, or in Buddhist language, maybe the idea of impermanence, like you get to really explore those kinds of questions here. So I just want to piggyback a little bit and say that I think that's a great topic and maybe it does connect completely with your past movies and everything. Yeah, and what's so interesting is, as you guys know, I was lucky enough to work on the production team of this film and, you know, Patrick and I were in the office day in and day out doing years of research on silence. And Patrick, I'm curious for you if you kind of felt an encounter with that that great silence and, and that connection to death as you continue to study and learn more did you feel a reawakening but also you know kind of coming from a dark place into um feeling more enlightened as you researched and um as you dove more into the topic <clears throat> that's weird being this formal with you it's so strange <laughs> <laughs> Just, just be, just go with it. Just be relaxed. Yeah, yes, yes. yeah, yeah. No more formalities. Yeah, just, just, just be, just be buds around a beer talking about death and stuff. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I, I definitely felt delving into territory, familiar territory, when we'd begun this process. And I don't really think that I had understood fully why that was in the beginning. Um, but it all felt really familiar to me and exciting in the same way because it was, and I, I imagine we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I, I found myself uh, obsessing over this chase, like chasing after this topic mm. and wanting to explore it further. I, in fact, it was, there's so many points along the way that I found myself becoming frustrated with the whole process of having to make a film about it because I, I wanted nothing more than to, to, than to do what I now call the, the spirit-seeking work that, that hmm. I think is in all the work um, and drives all the work. Because, I mean, what I've seen in your life, and we've been lucky enough to, to keep working together in some aspects, and we have a forthcoming book called Notes on Silence, which is based on just kind of behind-the-scenes stuff from uh, the film and working together on the film. But what I've seen in your life is, I hate to use this cliche word, but it's such a cliche word, but I can't think of something better. Maybe everyone else can, but I've seen almost like a rebirth in your work. Mm. You've, you've stepped in a direction of really pointing to mystery and silence, awe, wonder, you know, those, these kinds of things in the work that you're now doing. Like, for instance, your, your upcoming piece uh, in Praise of Shadows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... Have you seen that in your life too? And even the way in which you, you know, have chosen to kind of live monastically now in, in terms of your work. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a major, major way. I, when we had, in the days and the weeks leading up to the, 
conclusion of In Pursuit of Silence, like when we were in post-production and just about kind of about to wrap things up and send off the master to uh, CPH Docs in Copenhagen, which is where we had our world premiere. I remember having this really strong sense that that uh, there was some unfinished business, you know, um, and that I was I was far from done with this with this exploration. And it was around that time, uh, end of 2015, that I had decided that I was done with these kind of familiar kind of patterns of going to the office where I would do my work for 40 hours. Um, and, and make my films in this kind of very business-like material kind of way. I, I wanted to be more aligned with this kind of spirit-seeking nature of the work. And so I, I closed my office of, you know, 11 plus years and decided to build a small little shed in, in my backyard where I now, as you know, do all my work in, in relative silence and, and solitude. And I think all the great texts um and you know picard talks about how the ancient languages Mm -hmm. uh, would always point to silence you know this realm kind of beyond the words and i and i i'm just not interested in making films anymore that add more to the noise i'm interested in making films that point to this realm beyond the -hmm. words Mm -hmm. beyond the imagery and so i don't know i just become really fascinated with that idea and and i'm I have no idea what I'm doing, um, but but I I'm really fascinated with this idea of, of the work evolving. Plan what plan? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I I think we we all get this idea that that mm-hmm. silence is is this this um, magical sort of space, this magical material, and we want it to be infused. In our daily life, we want it to be infused with every breath that we take and every moment of our day. Um, and so, I've, I've become really fascinated with this idea of the of the a work evolving from that place, rather than the work kind of imitating or being a, a representation of that that engagement. I just want to say that real quickly, and then I'd I'd love to hear from Carl or Kevin. But just what you said, and that you don't know what you're doing. I mean, to me, that always points to that you know exactly what you're doing. Um, because, because, you know, as we all know, it lives in the paradox. It lives in the tension. That's great. The true depths of the mystery live yeah. there, right? That's it's in right. the unknowing that we know. That's great. Uh, very beginner's mind stuff. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm amazed. I love hearing about the shed. This is, this is spectacular for me. <laughs> but no, because I, now I'm thinking of Catherine Doherty. And, no, Catherine and the idea of uh, the Pustinia, Pustinia in Russian, which means basically the desert. And she basically talked about this idea that people should have, and she suggests building like a shed or a room where you would mm. go off and just be silent. Now, wow. she, she's using it in the context of Christian prayer. That's your space. You just go and you be quiet there. But like here you are, and this is fascinating. It's very monastic. It's kind of let the silence allow be the creative space and let it birth something. And so mm. you've kind of mixed the the quote going to the desert, going into a shed, 
and kind of a monastic almost writing doing lexio or something like writing uh, writing something and and wow. i love how you said you don't want to create stuff just to create you don't want to be imitating the noise you want to allow like get out of the way and let silence actually speak through you and let it come out and point to the silence or refer to the silence or that I, that i that's exactly very similar to the way I felt about like my theology and what I think about my writing and my creativity. Mm. It takes me longer to do things because I've done plenty of topics where I have taken a class and they teach you how to write and it's like the business of writing or something and they're like, here's a plan and do that. And I just felt like if I do that, all I'm doing is making noise. I'm not actually creating a space to listen and actually create. I'm just making words or something and not... So exactly. it's just, I, I loved every second. That's amazing to me. So spectacular. Well, I have a question for you, Patrick. In the, both in the process of making the movie, but also in the process of um, sharing the movie with the world, being on the festival circuit and, you know, the, the, you know showing up for screenings and so forth. I'm curious, what have you learned about silence that has surprised you the most? I mean, there's certainly been like science, there's been this intense, I think there's an intense craving for silence that has kind of shown itself throughout this process. I mean, just through like the, the, the Q&As and the conversations that we had around the film before and after the film, during press interviews and whatnot, like I think people, they get, they get that there's something wrong with the way that we're living our lives, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think people find themselves thinking a lot about uh, all these sort of related topics, right? These going on retreat, uh, going on a holiday, um, just having some quiet time, um, getting away from technology, having a break from that, detoxing. Like there's all this sort of terminology that, that's become very popular in the world and it all kind of points to silence ultimately, right? In, in, our, in our sort of need and, and our desperate craving for for whatever the silence thing is. But I, I don't know, that's one thing that comes to mind. And Patrick, did it ever surprise you just how untouchable she silence is hmm. in terms of, we talked a lot in the office about, you know, we're, we're kind of selecting metaphors, right? But yet nothing can clothe the, the bodiless body. Yeah, and people have been really kind of angry, to, to, to agree, really angry kind of about our treatment of silence. Uh, there's always that one person at a screening that has complained about our decision to use uh, dialogue, mm. to use music in the film. Um, and of course, our response has always been that our understanding of silence comes from uh, our relationship with the noise, right? With the spoken word, with the, the sounds around us. And it was important for us to kind of mimic that in a way, mimic a, a true real world kind of engagement with silence that felt um, that felt accessible, I guess. Um, there's something to be said for, for work that is completely silent. There's a lot of fantastic experimental avant-garde filmmakers doing completely silent work, Nathaniel Dorsky being one of them. But uh, this wasn't that film. You know, I think silence is for many people an invitation into something, right? Into into a um, more expansive kind of mode of being, um, and we wanted our film to be that um, as an invitation. It 
was important that it remain accessible to people, you know? Yeah, that was, that was uh, surprising and kind of annoying <laughs> at the same time to have to deal with those questions. So we have started to have a conversation on Encountering Silence. We have certain questions we've been asking each other. And so I'd like to extend like one of those questions to you. And I'm kind of curious as to who is kind of a silence hero for you? Who either embraces silence for you, represents, teaches it to you, or something like that, either a past, living, present, it doesn't matter, and just why? Oh, gosh, there have been so many uh, silence heroes that have come up in our conversations, Cassidy, and our, our research throughout the years. It's really tough to just kind of pinpoint one person, um, but if I had to, you know, there's the Throws, there's Monica Furlong, there's Rumi, there's all sorts of folks like that. But if I had to pinpoint one, I would say it would have to be John Cage, an American composer who uh, was very popular in the 1950s, often considered to be the, the father of, of, um, of modern art. Um, started out as a composer, but uh, was really highly regarded as a, as a philosopher and modern artist. He's uh, very well known for his silent piece, which we talk about in the film, uh, Four Minutes and 33 Seconds, which is a, a, a piece that involves a performer on stage literally uh, sitting or standing there in silence for four minutes and 33 seconds. And, I, you know, that piece alone, Four Minutes and 33 Seconds, I think was hugely influential and really became a model of sorts, I think, for In Pursuit of Silence, because here was John Cage, who was very interested in this idea of silence, even venturing into an anechoic chamber at one point in the 1950s to kind of become closer to silence, to study silence closer, and grappling with this idea of silence versus noise, and then finally realizing that silence and noise are one in the same thing. He was one that grappled quite a bit with this idea of the material nature of doing the work conflicting with this immaterial, the spirit-seeking nature of the work. And 4 minutes and 33 seconds is a beautiful example of, of both of those completely aligning with one another. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. This is kind of a variation of um, Kevin's question. You know, Kevin asked you about your silence hero. I'm wondering if there is a particularly sacred, silent place for you or place of silence that you, I mean, obviously you've spoken so beautifully about, about your shed, but even beyond that or before that in your journey, you know, where did you take recourse to silence? You know, sometimes I think about the, my lack of having a consistent space that I could retreat to like that being the reason why I even made the film to begin with. Um, I remember sensing early on in the, the kind of early development phase of the film, um, you know, I, my kids were small and noisy. I have two boys at home that make my, my home very, very noisy and, and chaotic. And I remember thinking that, you know, I, I had very, very little recourse that I could take. Um, I had this fascination with this topic and yet nowhere I could go to actually engage with the material, you know? And so I think in part, um, that's why I made the film because I needed to understand how important, um, this, this, this silence was in fact. And, um, 
So to answer your I don't know to answer your question more directly, I I don't I never really had um, a consistent place to go for that. Yeah, my, my my I feel like part of why I'm taking this I guess you could call it a new direction with my work is the sense of burnout that I've had over the last what is it fourteen I don't know fourteen fifteen years that I've been making films. Um, going from one film to the next, like it just has not stopped. And this pace, this inhuman kind of pace of life is just simply something that I can't continue doing. Well, I, I think that's a, first of all, I appreciate you being candid and being honest because I think many people would have a very, very similar answer. Right. And as, as I was listening to you, where my mind went was back to your speaking about being on the road with the movie Mm. and hearing about people's yearning and people's mm. hunger. Yeah. And, you know, as you know, Cassidy and I have taken refuge in our relationships with monasteries and, mm. and monastics. And, you know, all three of us, of course, have a, have a practice of daily intentional silence. You know, there are certainly things that, that we can do as individuals. But the question that I think that hovers in my heart is, is a more kind of a public question. And, and, you know, and I don't expect you to, to have a snappy answer here, Patrick, but I'm just going mm. to share this for you and really for Kevin and Cassidy as well. But I think, you know, this question of how do we recover silence in the public sphere? Uh, you know, a short of, of, you know, creating some sort of, you know, juridical kind of a thing that, that always backfires. And I'm thinking about like the Jewish Sabbath laws, which we know as an attempt to kind of cultivate leisure in the culture, by the time Jesus of Nazareth comes along, it had become very legalistic. I live in the American South, where up until very recently, you couldn't buy alcohol on Sundays. Mm. You know, so that legalism, you know, it's, it, it kind of continues on. And I think there's an interesting paradox where we do need a public sphere of silence. And yet trying to legislate that or trying to enforce it immediately subverts it. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's a beautiful point. That's a beautiful point. I you, you say public sphere, um, and, and that, that extends, uh, to our public spaces too, doesn't it? And what places that, um, our cities are carving out for its citizens to experience a bit of quiet where they can kind of reflect, be proactive. And I, and I, mean, I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? That's, and that was part of the problem with me, certainly, as I was kind of developing this idea and, and diving into the research. It's like I, there's very few places that I knew of at the time anyway that I could seek out to just be quiet and get away from the noise for a bit. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath with us and join us for this 30 seconds of silence. Another thing I'd like to, to ask about, because in working on the film, we, there was a significant amount of Eastern influences also. And, you know, from the tea ceremony to um, going to a Zen Buddhist monastery. And Patrick, from, from that experience, and I know there's a lot of, you know, similarities that, that we bumped into, but 
was there anything in particular that stood out to you that kind of felt like, holy smokes, we're doing it wrong here? Here being the here United being States. the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 right. Gosh, I mean, or, or something just that stood out to you that just was different but felt so right, yeah. or so so close to silence that mm. that it just really blew your mind. Mm. You know, I you know the first thing I thought of was the tea ceremony. You know, here we have this really intense uh, and extensive um, meditation uh, on silence. And it's not people sitting in a room, cross-legged, in silence. It's people engaging in an activity with the intention of connecting with other people, one another, and connecting with the world, both inside and out of the tea room. And I thought that was just a, a beautiful reflection of kind of uh, Japanese culture in, in general, and how silence is kind of infused in the way that they live, the way that they speak, the way that they interact with the world and other people. Of course, there's noisy cities in Japan as well, but I think the, the Buddhist roots uh, in Japan uh, have really kind of fed into this kind of way of being uh, that Japanese people have. And you know, there's this beautiful tradition in Japan uh, where people would gather around a lotus flower and listen to it bloom, which I think is just wow, a, a beautiful idea. You know, and people, I think, here in the United States would, would laugh at something like that, you know? Uh, our present certainly would, I think. Um, and, 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 and I think that's indicative of what is amiss in American culture and, and how it's always the loudest, most dominant voices in the room that get the most attention and the most respect right, in this culture. Uh, there's no time for pause. There's no time for contemplation. There's no time to simply step back and, and take in the larger picture. It's just, uh, I feel like it used to be valued at one point in American history, but it's, it's, it's certainly no longer. And it's, it's a confusing and inhuman way to live, I think. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. Well, listening to a flower bloom is, is so poetically... It's gorgeous, yeah. And there's so many layers to silence for Japanese people, right? Like, and, and they bring their whole being, their whole history. Uh, it's not just about the sensorial, is that a word, sensorial experience of, of the world in which they're in, but it's, it, it takes in the entire being and where they've been, who they are, into the context. Um, they have this beautiful idea in Japan, uh, the silence of nostalgia, where it, um, it, 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 it connects you with a person or in a, a particular event, I should say, where a particular experience of quiet or silence or soundscape connects you with an event or or person that that once occupied that space, which I think is a really really cool idea. That's beautiful too. Wow. Yeah. And even in language, I, I was reading um, Pico Ayer's uh, transcript the other day, and how he's talked a lot about how you know here silence comes off as you know very offensive. Whereas mm. silence in Japanese culture is it's reverence. It's it can be a compliment. It can be instead of clapping, it's silence, right? It's it's it was a really interesting point he made because he lives there for part of the year, I think. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. yeah. He splits his time between Japan and yeah. Santa Barbara, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be really curious to look up silence in a Japanese dictionary to see what mm. kind of the prominent, you know, definitions are. Certainly mm -hmm. here, like in, in the English dictionary. 
uh, it's all negative, right? It's the, the, the silence before the cannons or <laughs> something or some ominous mm-hmm. kind of moment. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Um, I, I'm kind of curious, too. <clears throat> so now that I'm wondering, where are you being led now? So where is silence? You're spending time in the shed. What, what's the work look like now? What is that, what's coming out of the shed? What are, you, what are you currently working on or where are you exploring? Hmm. Yeah, so I'll tell you guys a quick story. So in 2015, I think we were in the midst of editing the film, and, which took about a year. Uh, so it was a significant amount of time. And I was feeling, I think, particularly restless and kind of burned out by the whole process. And I turned 40 that year, and I thought to sort of mark that that milestone in my life, I would go off to the desert um, and spend uh, a few days in silence uh, with my camera and find a way to kind of fuse the work in my life and the work of engaging with silence again. And just to, as an experiment to see if what it felt like, to see if I could even pull off producing a piece of meaningful work. And so I went off to Joshua Tree, which is about two hours outside of Los Angeles, and uh, spent three days on a five-acre piece of land inside of uh, uh, an old RV. I think it's called the Rambler, an RV from the 1950s. (laughs) Never left this five-acre piece of land and devised a way to kind of cut out all the material aspects of the work as much as I could. And so I determined before I had headed out before I headed out to the desert, how many shots this film would have. I decided 40, just to kind of mark the years of life that I've had on the planet. Um, I also decided that I would um, randomly determine the, 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 the duration of each shot. Even the score to the piece was composed randomly using this, this app that uh, randomly selects notes based on a particular scale. And all I did literally those three days was I would step out of the RV into the desert with my camera and film things that sort of resonated with me. When I forgot to mention another thing that I added to the, to the sort of experience of doing this was I, I hung a AM FM radio off of my camera that was plugged into the audio input of my camera so that I could also capture the sounds, sort of the invisible reality around me, so to speak, um, capture the, 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 the frequencies in the air. And I would just kind of infuse that into the work. And so every shot is accompanied by, you know, the sound of the environment, the audible sound of the environment, as well as the sort of invisible kind of frequencies that were kind of running through my being at the time. Um, anyway, so I ended up making this film, this little film called Hypethral, which is this old Greek term for um, open to the ethers, uh, this idea that um, the old temples of ancient Egypt were uh, often built without roofs um, so that they would be kind of open to the heavens. And I love this idea of just kind of being wide open and completely porous to what was around me, what was going around me, and then not have to think about all these kind of sometimes immaterial kind of, uh, or unimportant kind of uh, material aspects, uh, decisions that I had to make about length and, um, you know, whether or not the, the, the shot was working or whether or not the flow or the narrative of the, of the film was working. And it was literally just kind of like me um, 
just kind of translating what I was feeling at the moment, which was kind of nice. And so, you know, whether or not the film was any good is kind of inconsequential. It was really about the experience and and proving to myself that it could be done and that I could make something in that space and have it evolve from that space. So I'm trying to continue that now with my work. And where can people find that? Uh, on my website at patrickshen.com. You can download it for a buck, I think. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and continue that work in that vein. Uh, the, the film that I'm making now is, is along those lines in a way. It's called In Praise of Shadows. And it's going to kind of paint a portrait of contemporary life. Um, it's going to be free from any kind of overarching narrative. Um, it's going to be composed entirely of images of shadows that I've been collecting all over the world over the past year or so on, on our travels with this film. Is there any kind of a teaser trailer for that film available? There is, yeah. I did put together a teaser for the film, which people can find at transcendentalmedia.com. Um, you could also go to patrickshen.com and find links to it there. Great. Yeah. That sounds spectacular. I look forward to looking at that. Should we mention Notes again? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, so what is Notes on Silence? I mean, it's. I think there was just so much, again, unfinished work inside of us uh, when we had completed the film. And we felt that there's just kind of this surplus of energy, of thoughts, of explorations that we thought would be beneficial to people who have seen the film and even those who have not, right? Um, and so we decided to put together a book called Notes on Silence, which is in part a kind of a journal, a production diary, a, a commonplace book, a collection of just ideas and thoughts we've collected along the way, uh, as well as original essays that touch upon things that we picked up along the way and things that we kind of unlearned as well along the way. But yeah, when will that be out? They'll be out in February is the plan. And also with some uh, transcripts, some excerpts from transcripts um, from interviewees that were in the film. Right, we were going over Pico Iyer's interview transcript yesterday and mm -hmm. decided that every single word of his interview <laughs> will make it into the book. Maggie which Ross, will be, I mean, there's 15 to 20 pages right there. Maggie Ross as well yeah. as another yeah. voice that will be in the film. So those interested in, in pre-ordering the book can do so now at notesonsilence.com. The book will be released in February. And I should also mention as the, you know, as the person in charge of the show notes, please go to EncounteringSilence.com to check out the show notes for this episode and really for all of our episodes. Patrick will include links to your work, will include links to not only the show notes, but also the various other poems and, and resources that we have mentioned in this episode so that people who are interested can, you know, can pursue those. Really one of the I guess the dreams that we have for this podcast is to support people with that craving for more silence in their lives. You know, and we're trying not to make this a religious podcast or a political podcast or anything like that, recognizing that silence is a human need and, and is part of being human. And so wherever people are coming from, we want to support them in their journey. And so hopefully, you know, by sharing some of these silence resources that that can provide some of that support. So now this has been a wonderful interview. Thank you so much, Patrick, for, for sharing yourself and your, your honesty and your obvious love for silence, your creativity. Uh, you're an inspiration to me. So 
just oh, come uh, on. I really appreciate you being here. So. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I want to. I want to echo that as well. Because uh, ever since we've you know bumped into each other through your work and stuff online, I've just been. I absolutely adore your work, and so so I want to thank you for that, and thank you for for giving us your time and your energy today. It's uh, it's always wonderful. I learn so much every time we get together. So. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. I, I realize that both of you have been uh, deep into this material for much, much longer than I have, and so it's it's humbling and and uh, I'm I'm grateful uh, to be to be involved in speaking with you guys. So thanks. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the podcast, obviously. <laughs> I also thank you, Patrick. It's been really, really fun to be a partner with you in silence over the last few years. So yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Yay! Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversations about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, EncounteringSilence.com. You can subscribe to our email list at our website, connect with us on social media, on Twitter at Silence Podcast, or on Facebook at Encountering Silence. And please visit Patreon.com slash Encountering Silence. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash encountering silence to become a patron of this podcast your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes and spreading the message of how vital silence is for our social spiritual and physical well-being